Welcome to The Catch-Up, a podcast where we bridge psychology, linguistics, and mythology to provide communication tools that fit your mind. I'm Neil. And I'm Melissa. I'm a linguist and author with a concentration in discourse analysis. I also study and write about applied mythology and its effects on our ability to relate to ourselves and others. And I have 10 plus years of experience in the field of psychotherapy. I write about the myths we all have in our mind and their effects on our everyday behavior. This podcast brings together our respective fields so we can see what goes on in our minds, both socially and personally, so we can have the tools to communicate our way through any experience with understanding. Be sure to head over to patreon.com slash meal, M-E-I-L, or meal.podbean.com to check out our patron programs and view the patron tiers. For just $4 a month, you'll become a top-tier supporter and gain access to all of our current and future bonus episodes and content. Thank you so much for your support. Now let's catch up. Thank you for catching up with us today. We're going to be talking about airing of grievances today, which is a not-so-obscure reference to Seinfeld. So why are we talking about airing of grievances? As Frank Costanza would say, I've got a lot of problems with you people. Now who is he addressing? His family and friends at his own special little holiday, Festivus. And we wanted to bring this up because we know that a lot of times our inner circles of family and friends can be the hardest people to have uncomfortable conversations with. And I think a lot of times that's because we're so comfortable with these people that we're afraid of disrupting that comfort level with uncomfortable topics and uncomfortable conversations. But a lot of times these are the people that we need to have these conversations with the most. Absolutely. And I think you're exactly right. You have a certain level or wavelength that you're on with them. And so we don't want it to be messed up with the way that we are being in that if we're deviating or differentiating a bit, um, it can be disassociating. So let's talk about that disruption. And I think especially nowadays, this is what a lot of people are doing on a daily basis with groups that they need to work with as opposed to work against. We have an opportunity because we're best friends, business partners, husband, wife, psychotherapist, linguist, the list goes on. We have an opportunity here. So Neil and I have discussed this topic between ourselves before. And one of the things that we've talked about is a helpful technique that I kind of, I want you to dive into, Neil, is the idea of maps in our mind and showing those and reading others. I can absolutely get into that. Um, So this is one of my favorite topics, actually. So mind mapping and mind masking. I want to give credit to a really, really excellent researcher out of Colorado by the name of Dr. Schnark. And what he has found with a lot of his research on like antisocial personality disorder, abuse, especially interpersonal abuse, is we all have kind of this compass that is built off of disgust, comfort, and the idea that when we're disgusted, we tend to map our minds when we're feeling safe enough, when we're not feeling disgusted, and then we mask our minds when we're feeling disgusted or we're feeling some sort of emotional disruption. And so basically his, his newfound concept, I think it builds off of a lot of psychological research from the past X number of decades, 
Essentially, it says, when we're feeling safe enough, we map our minds. We show our minds. When we're feeling less than safe, we mask. This is starting to sound like the movie Inside Out to me. Yes. <laughs> That's the, one of the best psychoeducation films of our time. And they consulted a lot of experts. They knew what they were talking about. Um, so with that being said, obviously, Dr. Schnark's work, the basic concept is we all map our minds and we map each other's minds. We also mask our minds according to the safety level of the situation. An example would be if I'm starting to feel some disgust sort toward a situation, I bring up a topic and the other person feels disgust, they're probably going to mask their mind in a certain type of way. It means basically they're not going to show their whole mind. They're going to be disgusted and turn away a little bit. But they might also come back with added force because they're feeling disgust emotionally. Everyone does this differently because we're all built different. We all got raised differently. So it's complicated, and we have a lot to cover with this. And I think one of the important things to remember is that I think with our inner circles, a lot of times there tends to be a sense of a danger zone because we don't want to interrupt that comfort level. We don't want to make them mad. We kind of want to keep them in our safe zone. And I think a lot of times we have that sort of internal fear of, oh, am I going to risk feeling safe with you? Am I going to risk you feeling safe with me? The important thing to remember with danger zones, to use a metaphor here, is Danger zones exist, but that doesn't mean you have to avoid them completely. Rock climbers, for example, they, I mean, rock climbing is dangerous, but there is a way to navigate that particular activity well. Rock climbers, professional ones, know which rocks to grab onto. They're trained to kind of do feel and look and understand how the rock feels underneath them. So they can navigate that well and they can navigate it safely even though they're in a dangerous situation. And it's the same thing with conversations, especially with our inner circles. Danger zones exist, but we have these tools at our disposal that Neil and I are going to explain here that allow us to understand the danger zones and know how to navigate them safely. And to just build off of the Seinfeld stuff, remember that episode where they were going rock climbing. I think, wasn't it George was wanting to be friends with the good-looking guy or something? Yeah, he wanted to give him a peanut butter sandwich. Yes. <laughs> and then Kramer joins in. Kramer's taking all the risk that um, he can think of following this guy. And then George, not so not so gracefully, not so unanxiously, he was terrified. And they drop the sandwiches, blah, blah, blah. The guy gets injured. The idea is fear disgust, emotion, social pressure, um, all of that is so packed into every scenario, oftentimes just staying with the people that are like us or that like us. So we have to understand that and use that to educate how we map each other's minds and help lower the masking. So one of the ways we can help provide the map to our minds to another um, in a safe way is um, kind of the broken record technique where you have your phrases where you you rely on them to get your message across, but you repeat them until it's fully absorbed. And then you have the next layer of a phrase saying, for example, I feel this way. I feel this way. 
I feel this way. And then once that's absorbed, you can say, here's why I feel this way. Here's why I feel this way. Here's why I feel this way. And it's sort of a safety zone for yourself so you can rely on that so that you know that you aren't kind of playing into any like increased heart rate or frustration that may be occurring from either end of the conversation. And it also lets you feel comfortable knowing that you're conveying your message authentically, but also in a way that can be absorbed by the other. So you have your phrases and you're able to rely on them as stepping stones toward getting your message across. The important thing to remember is that the people you have conversations with will also have their repetition phrases. So pay attention to those. What are they repeating? What are the metaphors they're repeating? What are the words that they're repeating? Um, how are they getting their message across? Because that is absolutely key to understanding their mind. And it's this technique is key for you to be able to understand how to get your mind across to them. Yeah, so to use an analogy, a metaphor from the first season, remember we were talking about those two boats that have very different views of things, of life, of myth, of psychology, etc. You can always make sure your balance, your working with the waves, wake, etc., creates a current for you. And then you're understanding that you can invite other people into your current um, and help them understand this is where I'm going. If you throw me off balance, yeah, I'm in the water, but I'm going to trust that my boat's going to circle back, pick me up, and we get going again. Your balance is your priority. And I think the, the language we use and the language we know we have at our disposals, whatever those safe phrases are and however we know that we best convey what we want to say are our safe places and they're how we maintain our balance. Because if you think about it, you can't read someone else's mind. The only way we can get close to understanding someone's mind is by listening to their language. They're, we can only read someone's mind to the extent that we read the language that they're giving us from their mind. And actually, one of the best people that I think gets their point across the most concisely, the most quickly, and probably one of the funniest ways to get it across is Keenan Thompson. Any millennial will know him from all that. And I'm sure, look at, if I say Keenan and then I go, <clears throat> you have an immediate image in your head of him in the bathtub with his raincoat and his little flippers just flip flapping. And he did that. And then he was on Keenan and Kel and he would always go, he, he has these phrases, and even now on SNL, all he has to do, he doesn't have to say much. If you notice him in a lot of the sketches, he doesn't say much. He's there, and something will be going on, and then all of a sudden, he'll he'll just go, what? And it'll, it'll cause a laugh, or he'll just say, well, this is this, and it'll cause a laugh. He doesn't have to say much to get his message across the way he intends it. He kind of has his Keenanisms, and so... Neil and I had this discussion about what are our phrases? What are our Keenan phrases that we have um, that we use that we don't always know we use that we rely on to get a message across? Neil told me, and I was unaware of this until he mentioned it, but Neil told me that I have a phrase when maybe one of my cats is doing something or my dog is doing something or if Neil's, you know, loading the dishwasher the wrong way or something, I'll, I'll go, well, don't do that. And that means I want whatever it is to stop or that I think it's incorrect in some way. 
Neil's phrase, and he didn't know he did this, was if someone says something and he kind of disagrees on a core level, but he doesn't want to be too forthright about it or too blunt about it, he'll tilt his head and just kind of go, um, and that's how you know that Neil disagrees on some level with you. Um, and, it, and so it's really funny that we have these phrases that we use anyway, that we rely on to get our message across really quickly, but we don't always know we have them. But when you become aware, you can use them to your advantage in these uncomfortable conversations with your inner circle to help you get your point across through those danger zones, communicate through those danger zones in a way that's safe for both of you so that you don't feel threatened. Absolutely. And let's branch off that a bit and look at centrifugal force. That is some logic to use. We all use it on a daily basis for a variety of reasons. I think the reason we say things like we're spinning out or we're off balance and and this person is causing us to veer too hard to the right or left, you hear people bringing up pivoting. I think you have to remember we're all in the myth stream of consciousness all the time. And with that, we also can use the forces of nature that are telling us where to go, what to do better. We can always kind of evolve our relationship with our own physiology, psychology, mythology, and then interpersonal mythologies. So to to take it a step further even now, Think about your interpersonal mythology, the things you tell yourself about other people. That educates how you act, how you use what we call face acts. Could you hit that real quick? Yeah, so essentially all that face acts are is the idea that we have different faces for different scenarios. We have the face that we put on for how we want to be seen in public, you know, how we want strangers to see us, maybe as poised or graceful or as put together. Um, We have the face we put on at work, how professional we want to seem. We have the face that we have with our family, our friends. If we're the shy one, the comedic one, the weird one, the quirky one, um, what have you. Um, And then we have the face that we have when we're at home and are being our most authentic self. So we kind of have these faces. Doesn't mean we're being inauthentic in any given situation. It just means we're trying to present ourselves a certain way. And I think it's absolutely relevant to bring up here because when you're having a difficult conversation about a difficult topic with someone in your inner circle, your family, or your friends, you know, if it's about race, religion, politics, what have you, a lot of times you might see a face of them or they might see a face of you that you haven't seen before. Maybe that's, you know, the angry face or maybe they pull out jargon from the professional and you get to see that professional face or you get to see them break down and maybe they become really raw and you get to see the face uh, that they are when they're when no one's around kind of a thing so that could cause some dissonance but paying attention to the language they're using as well as the language you're using will absolutely help illustrate how you guys can meet in the middle somewhere and taking that and rolling into the understanding that happiness all the time isn't the goal. Um, people bring up gratefulness so much now, all these catch words that we're trying to um, coax ourselves forward with, trying to get through these traumatic events, this drama that we're in. Um, I think some Fritz Perls quotes would be great to pull out right now, so let me grab them. 
one of my favorites, one of my go-tos is, you cannot achieve happiness. Happiness happens and is a transitory stage. Imagine how happy I felt when I got relief from bladder pressure. How long did that happiness last? So taking that into account, right, we, we have a certain amount of built up understanding in our language that we want to do this together, we want to do that together. But when we get into uncomfortable situations, yeah, a lot of the stuff we're talking about is unhappy. But you can be playful, you can tease out the truth, you can map each other's minds. And I think what we found is the more you map, the better you can be at teaching each other how to uh, work together. Even if, as you, you talk about those face acts, you see the other side of somebody, their dark side, so to speak, you're learning about what's going on in them. A lot of times people have traumatic histories that cause them to be and act that way when they're feeling insecure. So I said I had a few, let me hit one more. Those that fight don't listen. Those that listen don't fight. A truly whole person has to have good guidance and also the ability to act. There it is right there. And so when you're navigating these conversations, these difficult topics, difficult conversations, it's really important to be aware of the language and the metaphor usage. Because even if you're saying the same thing, it can feel like an absolutely different mindset if the language isn't aligning. For example, Neil and I grew up in the Midwest and we had heard the phrase kick rocks, meaning I want you to, you know, get away, get off. Um, now we moved to the desert of New Mexico and we heard people saying go pound sand. Means the same thing, but it's a vastly different imagery. Um, and we had never heard that before. I'm also aware of a saying that means the same thing. And it says it's something like, go take a long walk off a short pier. Now, these all say the same thing, essentially, but the imagery with them is vastly different. So even if you're saying the same thing, if the language isn't necessarily matching up, it can absolutely feel like you're coming from different places, even though you aren't. So paying attention to language usage of the other person and yourself will really help you figure out, okay, I can meet them in their metaphor here. Or even explaining yourself and saying, here's what I'm saying. Can you try to meet me where I'm at a little bit, whether that's with tone or rhythm or volume? Um, all of these things can absolutely help progress the conversation forward in a really helpful way for both people or all people. And this is why myth, metaphor, that is the universal language we're all speaking. You feel like you're coming from a different place because technically in your mind's eye you are, but we're all working with this, this wavelength of myth that we're communicating, sharing, dismissing, disgusted with, enjoying. And if we're working against someone's myth, it makes it harder. Now using staying with the stream of consciousness, you are working with the myth and you sometimes feel like you're working against someone else's because you're going upstream or you're trying to climb through all that muck that they've built into the stream of consciousness between you. However, if you pitch beyond what's going on, you'll see that it kind of it flushes out the truth of the matter where we need to go and we then we follow the stream. Think of creating your own river or your own 
eroded earth that gives you the opportunity to go, all right, this is the way we're going. Let's make a lazy river out of this. It's going to get bumpy at times, might hit some rocks, but we'll get through it. And so kind of the main things that we want you guys to take away is that we, we have our language at our disposal, being aware of what our safe phrases are, what our safe places are within our own phraseologies, what we can rely on to get our message across clearly, concisely, and calmly. The three C's, if you will. I just made that up just now. We have these phrases. We can rely on them to help us communicate the conversation forward. Um, looking at things like metaphors and things. So we have the actual language, but we also have things like what we brought up earlier. We have the energy behind it all. What Neil was talking about with the mapping and masking, the energy behind it. If that person comes at you with force, whether that be through volume or pace or rhythm um, or the actual language itself, these are extra linguistic features, meaning the non, not the actual language being used. Things like facial expressions, body language, they help us interpret what the other person is saying. So we have the extra linguistic features and we have the linguistic features for us to be able to infer what's going on in another person's mind. And being mindful of the fact that we have these analytical tools kind of already at our disposal will help us hone our communication abilities with ourselves because we'll be saying to ourselves, okay, here's how I know I can convey my mind to the other person in the best way I know how. Since you brought up interpreting, I had to bring up the Carl Jung quote. The most we can do is dream the myth onwards and give it a modern dress. And whatever explanation or interpretation does to it, we do to our own souls as well with corresponding results for our own well-being. The ultimate sufferer is the bad interpreter themselves. It is all about interpretation, and that's why art's a beautiful thing. It helps us make sure we're working on and honing our interpretation skills because the myth is survival, and we're trying to find the best ways to survive onwards, so we have to communicate inwards that are creating currents that move us forward. So that's that's why we use so many water metaphors because it's the one thing that reminds us we're all mostly water anyway and we have a lot of electricity going on. We just don't want to get shocked too often, too hard, all that. I know this sounds like a lot, but really we kind of already do a lot of these things. A lot of us already try to interpret facial expressions. We notice if someone is looking at their watch. We notice if their eyes are rolling, if they're squinting and looking confused, if they're tapping their foot impatiently, whatever the case may be. Um, these are things we kind of naturally pick up on and that we process in real time, which is why communication can be so complicated because we have so many stimuli coming at us in real time that our brain is consistently interpreting. But a lot of this is already second nature. What I think we need to really be aware of is the fact that we have these linguistic tools at our disposal and we can use them to create kind of a safe zone around ourselves so that we feel safe, but also so that the other person can feel safe within the conversation. And not to say that the conversation will be very comfortable then, but what will happen is that the other person will feel okay 
saying, okay, here's a little bit more of my mind. And you will feel okay then saying, okay, here's what my mind is doing. And that's that's kind of the point of this because I think what a year like 2020 really brought to light was the fact that we can't just sit back and say, all right, don't bring up race, religion, or politics or anything of relating to any of those at the dinner table when I go home to see family and friends. No, we're really divided already. What that does is increase the division. It makes the it makes the cliff higher, and therefore we're more likely to fall off when we reach it. What we need to do is say, I have the ability to create a bridge across the divide, or I have the ability to climb the cliff, whatever, however you want to look at it in your mind with that imagery. We have to be able to say, we have to progress ourselves forward together. And we have to do that with the tools we have available the most readily all the time. Because it's corrective myth target practice. We're always looking to find those combinations of words and messages that help us get there. And so it's uncomfortable at times. And then it gets really comfortable once you find that groove and keep going with it. And anybody who has worn high heels will understand what that means because I used to wear high heels all the time in my 20s. I'm not in my 20s anymore. I don't like wearing high heels and I don't have time for that pain. But I used to wear high heels to dress up and go somewhere. Now, it was really, really uncomfortable after a couple hours, but that made my tennis shoes and my flip-flops feel so much better. I really appreciated them after taking off the heels. And so it makes sense that discomfort isn't always appealing to us, but at the same time, when we reach the point of, okay, let me change shoes, let me get back into that comfort zone because I know I've done my best at this point, it makes us appreciate it more and it makes us able to say, okay, I can re-enter, I can put those shoes back on when I need to, to help me out in whatever situation. So I think the takeaways are mainly that you have to know and understand that, man, that discomfort is telling you something. You are probably going to mask your mind outwardly for a period of time until things reset and get safe. You might be more reactive, depends on your irritability or what's going on around you. But understanding that, again, you're safe if you're taking care of yourself and in your zone. And so if someone's disrupting your zone and making you feel unsafe, yeah, you have those boundaries set up for a reason, using the mind masking so you can get away from that and get to better waters, better opportunities to communicate. This is where I need to be going with my life, my consciousness, myself. So the tangible tools we want you guys to take away today are, one, your keenanisms, as we mentioned, those phrases that you have that you know you can rely on to communicate your way through the conversation concisely, clearly, and calmly, and also the ability to look at language and whether the language itself is aligning and whether the messages are aligning, like we mentioned with kick rocks versus pound sand versus go take a long walk off a short pier. So those are really important tools to be able to hone and utilize and rely on in order to communicate our way through forward through any uncomfortable situation. We hope you've enjoyed catching up with us today. Keep airing those grievances the best you can. Develop that skill. And after a while, we won't have so many problems with you people. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> then we can celebrate. And thanks for being with us. We'll catch up with you later.